0: Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. Awesome! Thanks everyone. You can grab your seat. Wonderful to see you all here. Happy birthday. This is pretty cool. We're three. I love that. That's, that's a really fun age. That's where we get to get up to a lot of mischief and people are still cool with us doing that. So, fun times ahead. It'll be great. So, as Pastor Nate said, we are in a series, finishing up a series called Redefining Success. And um, if you caught the last few weeks, you would know that we aren't actually redefining success for you. Rather, what we have done is um, do a bit of a study into God's Word and really fished out some great principles, some timeless principles from the Word of God that will actually help us along the path to success. And, Pastor Nate, um, spoke a few really cool messages on, on yeah, really tools that will equip us going forward. And so what I felt to, um, I guess, raise with you this morning were things that potentially will hold us back. And one thing in particular that will hold us back from really, truly living out the life of success that God has, has planned for each and every one of us. I love that God's plans are never to, um, you know, detract from our life. But if anything, it's to give us life and life in abundance. That's the verse John 10:10 10, 10, that we love here at Lift Church. It's Jesus came to give life and life in abundance, and we love that. And so we know that God is wanting to do everything to gear us up for success. I've just gotten really quiet. Did anyone? Am I good though? You guys can hear me. Okay, awesome. That was just in my mind. Anyway. Um, Yes, yeah, so God is only ever gearing us up for success. Um, but there are things that can happen on our journey um, and things that from within that can really hinder our success. And for one, and one of those things that I've picked up on my journey, and, and I'd love to just be really honest and transparent with you this morning if it's cool. I love that I get to come into church and... and um, this is a bit of an important domain for Pastor Nate and myself. We do work for church, and so sometimes it's not as easy coming in here and being totally open and transparent. We still kind of have our, you know, this needs to succeed, otherwise, you know, we're out of a job. Um, but so this is, this is one of those domains where it's like, ah, oh, you know, it's hard sometimes to come And just be myself and just be open. But I love that we've got a family going on here. I love that I can come and I can just let my hair down and I can be completely who I am. I don't have to be perfect. I can be the imperfect self that I am. But because of the grace of Jesus, I can stand up here and do what I get to do, which is awesome. Um, But the same goes for you as well. And so what I actually did want to bring to you this morning was that whole issue of being a perfectionist. Anyone a perfectionist here? Yeah, okay. Okay, so probably about a third of you put your hand up, but if you knew the definition for being a perfectionist or perfectionism, then I think more often than not, it would be all of us raising our hands in because we look at some area of our life, and we're like, oh, okay, I'm a bit of a perfectionist in that area. So a perfectionist, what are they? What, what do we do? Why are we such freaks? I don't know the answer to that actually. But um, so if you're a perfectionist, you either um, struggle with standards for yourself. You set standards super high for yourself and, and that's more often than not inflicted by yourself. But then there are perfectionists who put standards on other people. Um, and so like that could be as simple as I put a standard on Nate to keep our cushions in the right order on the couch, that that can be a form of perfectionism. I've, I've put that stand on him. It never happens though, like one's turned around, one's not, anyway, it's the cat's fault. Sometimes it is, he's a psycho. Um, we have a psycho cat, he's great. He could be getting into my pot plants as we speak, as I speak, um, but anyway, we'll leave that aside. He's, he's not perfect, that's right, he's not perfect, neither am I. Um, so you have the perfectionism where we put our standards on other people, but then we can also be perfectionists where we put high standards on ourselves because of others. We look around in our life, anyone on Instagram, we scroll through Instagram and, and just have a look at how other people are doing life and, and we see the standards they've put on their life and we automatically just put that on ourselves and how many of you know that often those standards are actually really not well-fitting at all. Kind of like with this series, we are saying that your definition of success wouldn't be my definition of success. Just like how my definition or my standard wouldn't be the same as your standard. Why? Because we're all unique people. We're all different people. But who here has ever been a victim of a perfectionist? Actually, I won't get you to raise your hand just in case, just in case you're sitting next to that person. Well, see, for me, um, there was this one moment in my life and it scarred me. No, uh, I'm good. I'm getting over it. Um, this message is therapeutic. It's helping me so much. Um, but I remember there was this one moment in my life where um, I had the privilege of being a bridesmaid for a close friend. And I think many of you already know where I'm going with this story. But um, so we had a great time organising the wedding um, throughout, you know, leading up to the wedding. Um, come the wedding day though, I could kind of sense that the bride was a little bit stressed, maybe a little bit on edge. This person really liked having their ducks in order. They really liked everything planned out, everything perfect and um, how many of you know that that's a recipe for disaster for a wedding day where anything could go wrong at any moment Um, anyway so she was doing really well and we're all really enjoying ourselves it was great being a bridal party um, throughout the day and you know you you do the ceremony and partly in the ceremony it's like you're just watching this beautiful couple get married and you're like oh this is amazing you're crying and it's all wonderful and then afterwards you get to take your photos and that's, that tends to be pretty chilled, pretty calm. You know, there's not much to really coordinate um, unless you, know, you lose some of your bridal party for some reason. But we had a small one, so it was good. They could keep track of us. It, it was all good in that regard. So it was all going really well. But when we got to the reception, that was when the couple had kind of organized a little, uh, well, a few different duties for us as a bridal party to do. And part of it was giving gifts to people who had helped out. Um, but some people leave, you know, at different parts of the night. I know <laughs> for um, Pastor Nate and myself now, we kind of leave wedding receptions around 10, 30, 11, because <laughs> we have to be here on Sunday. Um, and so you get people leaving at different points in the night. And, um, and then you have... I don't know whether they still do this, but back in back in the day this wasn't that long ago um, some people what they do is uh, you know the lovely like flower arrangements in the middle of your table yeah so some people would use those as gifts because they're beautiful and they cost a lot of money um, so they'd prefer to give them as gifts to the people who have helped out and so for us for the bridal party we um, were given these duties to help hand out these gifts throughout the night and um, but with everything else going on, you know, we just forgot to until it got to later in the night where we we're like, right, we better do this. But it was too late. Bradzilla had already come full force um, and, and she was going around giving out gifts, telling us off for not giving out the gifts and just things went from bad to worse to the point where my lovely boyfriend at the time, Nate, um, picked me up after the reception and, and I just... So embarrassing. But I just cried all the way home because at that point I was exhausted. But more than that, I felt about this small. I felt like because of this beautiful bridezilla, I I just my imperfections were completely in my face and and I just I was wrecked. I was a mess. I got home, poor Nate was probably like, What do I do? Like this is you know, this is probably like a half an hour to a forty minute drive. I'm just like sobbing quietly, looking out the window. But just towards the end of the night, it, it was terrible. I, um, I had never felt so, I think, small about myself uh, as I ever did before. And so the issue with being a perfectionist is that when we, when we want to have things perfect, they tend to not be, and we tend to freak out and not handle it well when, thing, When excuse my language, but crap hits the fan. Um, we just don't handle things well, and, and if success for this couple, which I think it is for most couples, is to have a happy wedding day where they just completely enjoy themselves and they're carefree, if that was success, if that was the definition for them for that day, they had failed miserably. And so for them, they would have had a bad day, but then for all of us as well, we went home feeling just like we were the worst bridal party ever. And so perfectionism has its way of, first of all, stealing from our joy, stealing from the life that God wants us to have, but as well, it can steal away from the people around us. But, you know, as I was doing uh, more research into this whole issue of being a perfectionist, I was kind of like, okay, God, so yeah, it's an issue. We can have bad days because of it. But what happens if we begin to see this come out, you know, every day and almost every moment of every day and it starts to encroach in on our life? And so I did a bit of research into it and it's, it's actually quite amazing the biological effects that perfectionism can have on us. You see, what happens is when we have standards that are way too high for ourselves, whenever they come under threat, whenever we start to feel that pressure of, I can't actually perform at that level, what happens is there's a response in our amygdala. Any medical people here? You can, I'm saying it right? Amygdala? Amygdala? Yes. Good. Okay. Um, so... That is our fight or flight response um, area of our brain. And what happens is whenever we're under that pressure, our amygdala, it it starts to get stimulated. And so when we are always under pressure, when we are constantly not able to meet the standard, then our amygdala is overworked. And what happens is is that we start to live out of a place of fear, not just for the big things in our life, but day-to-day decisions like what to wear, that starts to become too big of a deal. And we're living in a society where we have a lot of anxiety, we have a lot of depression, but we also have a, a generation where they're just overwhelmed with choices, with decisions. And so what we need to get good at doing is actually helping people realize that you don't have to be perfect, you don't have to be a perfectionist and in fact when you continue shooting for those standards in your life, you're actually going to end up worse off and we all know that if you want to be successful, right, it requires some work, it requires the ability to make decisions and put one foot in front of the other. But if we continue to operate out of a place of perfectionism, then even those little steps can become such a difficult thing for us to do. And I believe that God has made us in a way that we can only increase in capacity. So we're able to increase in the amount of authority that we've got. We're able to increase in the amount of um, responsibility that God brings in our path. But if we can't handle the little things, and it says this in the Word of God, if we can't handle the little things, then we're not actually able to handle those big things. And so for many of us, we see the call of God on our life and the success that He wants for us. Put on hold because we're just struggling with our day to day. Do I have any friends here in the house? You know, sometimes it's a struggle in the day to day things. This morning I woke up and feeling a little bit overwhelmed, um, been a bit sick this weekend, but I just looked at my wardrobe and I'm like, what am I going to wear this morning? And for like a good five minutes I had to think about it. And then, like literally, I told myself, I was like, Rebecca, you make this decision every day, you can do it. <laughs> and then I was like right all right come on just get something that you're comfortable with let's go let's go sometimes we just got to talk to ourselves like that right you don't need to look perfect just wear something you can't rock up nude obviously so just put something on just put something on and it will do so so perfectionism it's a bit of an issue right but you know what I love that in the word of God God gives us Individuals, He gives us um, these stories of people where we can literally put ourselves in their shoes. And for me, when I had to begin to deal with this, God pointed me to this man named Saul in the Bible. And he's actually king, uh, uh, Israel, this uh, nation of people. They asked for a king. And so God chooses this man named Saul. And Saul, yes, he's got a few issues, but he actually looks the part. The Bible talks about how physically he had the stature. He was a head above the rest. He was a head tall above all the other men. And so he looked like he kind of had it all together, that he was, he, he yeah, it was the full package. But we soon see throughout his life, and, and it's funny because I would often read Saul's story and be like, what a loser. Like, he is just crazy. But this time, um, in preparation for this message, God was like, hang on a minute, put yourself in his shoes. He's not actually that different from you. And so we're going to pick up his story um, in 1 Samuel chapter 13. And um, so basically what had happened, and you'll hear a bit of his backstory when I read this account to you, but basically what was going on was that um, Saul was waiting for the prophet Samuel to Um, bring a offering because this offering uh, there were a few things that Saul kind of wanted to get done before he was about to go to war um, with the enemies and so he had been given these instructions but pressure was starting to kind of cave in on him. And it's just like us with that perfectionism streak. You know, sometimes when there's no pressure, we're good, we're cool. But it's when pressure starts to crowd around our life that we kind of snap and start to operate in our perfectionism. And so this is kind of what we see with Saul. So verse 8, it says, Now Saul waited seven days, according to the appointed time which Samuel had set. But Samuel had not come to Gilgal, which was the place that they were, and the people were scattering away from Saul. So what was going on was that uh, Saul was kind of, he was just in this place where he had to wait for some things to fall into place. But he had men with him who were scared because they saw that the army that they were fighting against, they outnumbered them, completely outnumbered them. And so the Israelites, the army, had started to fear. And so they were beginning to scatter away. So if you can kind of picture Saul, he's this king, right? So he's he's the ruler. He's the governor. He's got to kind of have the plan sorted. It all falls on his head. Kind of like, you know, if things don't run to plan, it falls on our head here at church. So Saul was kind of in this position and things weren't quite going to plan. And so the people were scattering away from Saul. So Saul said, all right, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering, which he was forbidden to do. How do we know he was forbidden to do that? In 1 Samuel chapter 10, so three chapters earlier, um, Samuel and Saul have met together and Samuel's giving the rundown to Saul. He's like, all right, this is the plan. This is how things are going to work, all right? So don't freak out. We've got a plan. This is all good. And so this is the plan. Samuel says to him, you shall go down ahead of me to Gilgal. Tick. Saul had done that. And behold, I will be coming down to you to offer the burnt offerings and to sacrifice peace offerings. Why? Because this was Samuel's job. This wasn't Saul's job. Saul was king. Samuel was priest, prophet. He, that was his domain. The spiritual things is his domain. For Saul, it was kingship, it was governance. And so Samuel's saying that's what's going to happen. You shall wait, you shall wait, seven days until I come to show to you and show you what you must do. So there were clear instructions here, right? We're, we're all good with that. There were clear instructions. So let's pick it back up in chapter 13. So Saul, even though there were clear instructions, he gives the offering himself. As soon as he finished, as soon as he finished, uh uh-oh, offering the burnt offering, Samuel finally came. Saul went out to meet and to welcome him. And you know, I can imagine Saul being like, hey, Samuel, what's going on? I didn't just offer that burnt offering. I didn't just do that. It's all good. You can do it again. I think he'd be trying to cover it up. At least I know I would. But Samuel, of course, says, what have you done? Saul said, Since I saw that the people were scattering away from me, something out of his control, and that you did not come within the appointed time, something also outside of his control, and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, so Philistines were the uh, opposing army. They were coming to assemble. That was the pressure coming on him. Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked for the Lord's favour, by making supplication to him. So I forced myself, someone say, I forced myself. I forced myself to offer the burnt offering. Samuel said to Saul, you have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For if you had obeyed, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, forever, if you had obeyed. If you had just let your perfectionist control freak self chill out, you would have been established, your kingdom would have been established forever. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man, David, after his own heart and the Lord has appointed him as leader and ruler over his people because you have not kept, obeyed, what the Lord commanded you. Now, when I read this account about Saul, I was like, mate, you stuffed it up big time. Big time, right? He was at this place where he'd been given kingship, this authority, but there was something within him that wanted more. And it's funny because um, scholars say that in Saul actually offering that offering what was going on, and I know you can't read the intention of a person's heart, but the symbolism of this was that Saul was actually reaching not only for his governance, not only for his role as being king, but he was actually reaching beyond the scope that God had given him into the things of the Spirit. He wanted to take over Samuel's domain and and be priest, be prophet as well. But God was saying, nuh-uh the way you would have established your kingdom was to actually just steward the role that I'd given you. It was actually just to come, uh, be king, do what you were meant to do. And you know what, it doesn't say this in the passage, but I reckon because God is just and he's merciful, he would have dealt with Samuel. If Samuel came late and stuffed up the whole thing, and the Philistines came and, you know, they, the Israelites lost the battle, I reckon God would have dealt with Samuel and would have been like, Saul, well done, you did what you were meant to do. You played your part. But no, there was this thing in Saul that rose up and he just had to get everything perfect, get everything right. And you know, I reflect in on my life and and this is where perfectionism hits me, where when people aren't doing what has been set out to do, that's, that tends to be where my perfectionistic streak comes out. I, I want to overstep the bounds of my domain, of my authority, and meddle in somebody else's domain, in their authority. But I know now for Saul, that didn't end well. And so there's this streak, this perfectionism that we've got to deal with. And so, you know, the biggest thing I believe that Saul wrestled with was that he didn't have a perspective that God is sovereign, that God's a sovereign God. Like I mentioned, I believe that God would have dealt with everything that was going on. He just had to do what he was meant to do. But, you know, for a lot of us, and certainly for myself, the reason why I would meddle in another person's business is because I've lost sight that God is actually sovereign, that God is more than capable to look after this person to help them live out their call, to help them make wise decisions. But you know, sometimes for us, we don't see the sovereignty of God as a good thing. That's something that God had to address in my life. I I struggled with... Uh, the fact that God was sovereign because I thought that God's sovereignty meant that he could come and meddle and kind of cause chaos and disaster. That, if I'm honest, that's, that was my fear in allowing a God who is sovereign have that place in my life. But the cool thing is that the definition of God's sovereignty is actually not a negative thing. It's uh, in a Bible dictionary, it says God's absolute right to do all things according to his good pleasure, not according to his wrath, not according to all the bad stuff that I've done, all my sin and my mistakes, not according to that for you. He's, he's not out to repay you for what you've done. In fact, God, if ever he's sovereign over your life, which I believe he is, but when he is it's only ever for your best. It's only ever out of a place of his goodness, of his kindness, of his love for you. And out of this place of he actually just wants to bless you. He actually just wants to. It's out of a place of pleasure that he would love you. And so that's the definition of God's sovereignty. And so for me, when I begin to struggle with the streak of being perfect and even, you know, it's funny because every month I kind of have this over and over again, it, it comes up and it's and it's always to do with in preparation for some kind of speaking engagement, whether it's here at church or whether it's in a high school or a primary school or, or where, wherever it may be, this, this streak in me comes up. But you know what, at the end of the week when I've done everything that I can do, I just come back to the fact that God, you are sovereign, that God, you are all powerful and that you will accomplish everything you want to do in and through me and it's the same for you on your path to success in your road to success yes you're not perfect yes you might want to control everything but we've got to remind ourselves that God is actually sovereign and it comes out of a place of his pleasure it comes out of a place of wanting to be good and kind and loving towards you but not just you, all the people that your life has something to do with, every person that you uh, have influence with, God wants to show his loving kindness to them as well. But, you know, once I got this revelation, okay, that God, you are a sovereign God, that you are good and that you only want to uh, bring delight and bring more blessing into my life, how do I actually partner with you? Because sometimes it's hard to partner with God when, when yeah, when he is... Um, When we hear of characteristics like him being sovereign, how do you partner with that? Now, there are three things that I learned from Saul's journey um, and certainly have seen God help me do in my life. And so this morning, I hope this will help you really quick. I just want to give you these three practical tools that you can take with you. So the first thing is to redefine the standard. You see, for Saul... His standard that God had placed on him was king. He was saying, All right, I want you to govern your king. I'm going to grace you for it. I'm going to give you the tools you have for that. But what Saul did out of this place of wanting to be perfect, wanting to be the complete package, wanting to control, what he did was that he traded king for king and as well as for the spiritual realm. We spoke about that a little bit. He he raised the standard on his life. God had put this standard, but he was actually going for more. And, you know, this morning, I just really felt to encourage you that whatever standards you have put on yourself, the one standard that we all have in common is that we are all children of God. And so if you put a standard on yourself to be a millionaire, I don't know, um, or to be the world's best Mum or dad, world's most perfect mum or dad, when the stress of that, when the pressure of that gets too much for you, all you need to remember is that the standard God places on you is child of God. And the cool thing is, is that I don't know what family you've been raised in. I don't know what kind of standards your parents have put on you. But the thing is, God's standard is that he sees our imperfections. He sees that we have sin. He sees that we fall short of the mark every single time. And so his standard, although it is child of God, wow, he knows that we're not perfect. And so he hasn't put perfection on us. He simply wants us to relate to him as children of God. And that's something that's so doable for each and every one of us. It's just like how we relate to our parents. It requires conversation. It requires time. It requires getting to know one another, and we can do that through God's Word. But, you know, that's the standard that I always continue to come back to. When the pressure of performance, when the pressure of um, meeting deadlines, when the pressure of um, trying to get things perfect starts to come around me and, and I'm feeling so weighed down or, or like I'm about to combust because of it, God, His Spirit just comes to me and he whispers to me, Beck, remember that you're first my child. Remember that you're first my daughter. And instantly it takes the pressure off. It it just oh it just helps so much. And I'm actually just able to enter into that place where it's like, God, you're right. All you require of me is to actually just be your child. And really what that means is to be loved by you, God. And so that's the standard that God has placed on us. In John 1:12, it says, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believed in his name. So what God is saying here is that he has made us sons and daughters because of Jesus. That's the reason why he sent Jesus. It wasn't to tell us how sinful we are and, and that we need saving because we're so terrible and horrible, but really his heart behind it was that, I just want to be reconciled to my children. And so that's how we can come and be reconciled with God and just be his child. It takes the weight off us. You know, the second thing that I realised in Saul's life, his second mistake that he made was that his perfectionism drove him to control things that were outside of his control. There were lines, there were boundaries to his uh, success to the path that he was on, but he crossed those lines. And it was funny, doing some research into this, I came across this quote where it said that perfectionists will go to great lengths, they'll stop at almost nothing. And so I picked up on that word almost. I'm like, right, God. So there, there is a limit to this. We need to work out where our lines are. We need to um, that's the key word here, that there is a line and we gotta work out where it is. And often we only work out when we've crossed it. And I believe that was Saul's situation there. He knew when he had crossed into that boundary where he wasn't meant to cross into. But what about for you? What about on your path, whatever career you're on, or whatever, you know, your definition of success is, when you're on that path, what are your lines? What are your boundaries that you're going to draw where you're like, okay, if I step beyond that, that's, that's not where I'm meant to enter into. That's not where I'm meant to be. You know, to help us out, psychologists actually use this term, satisficer. It's up there. So it's a cross between satisfactory and sufficient. So for us, in wanting to live out a life where it's got those boundaries, we need to, where, where that line is, sorry, is can be defined by satisfy. So what is satisfactory and what is sufficient? So for example, for me, whenever I'm message prepping, there are a few things that um, I check off. So a few things um, that will help me know that it is satisfactory. Do I have enough content? How long is this gonna go for? Um, do I have a story? Do I have a scripture? Do I have some points? Do I have some practice? things that I can leave without our people. Those are the satisfactory things, and then I have a, a list of sufficient things as well. What will actually be sufficient for this? So this is a tool that we can use in our life, when we're trying to work out what is that line, What is satisfactory? and what is sufficient. And it's funny because these studies have said that people who, instead of being perfect, being a perfectionist, um, I think they call them maximizers, that's the word that they use. If you go on through life like that, that actually leads again to anxiety, actually leads to a life that is less successful than you had started out planning to be. Whereas if we go through life having a, there is a line and okay, I've done enough, that's satisfactory, that's sufficient. When we actually live with lines defined like that, we actually do achieve success. We, are, we actually do reach that place where we have achieved all that God has wanted us to and, and the success that we wanted to see in our careers. That's actually how we achieve it. In 1 Samuel 15, it says, Samuel said, has the Lord, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey to obey is better than sacrifice. You see, often when we have those lines and we step out outside of those lines, that goes into sacrifice zone. That's like, God, I'm laying down this, this, and this for you, and so I better succeed in this. But God's saying, Nuh I never asked you to do that. What I ask you to do is obey. What I ask you to do is actually to steward that role well. And by well, I mean be my child, listen to my voice, just follow my instruction. And that's actually what God is looking for. So there's this satisficer, there's this attitude that we can adopt if we want to continue on that path to success. And the third thing, real quick, and if I can get the band up to help me, is to actually trust in God's good pleasure, actually trust in his sovereignty. Because that's the third mistake that I saw in my life and in Saul's life, that he wanted to control the situation. But in doing so, he actually completely lost control of the situation. Have you ever had those moments where, and kind of like the bride that I was talking about, the situation begins to control you where you were like, okay, I had all of this planned out, I was in control, but then something snapped and that perfectionist came forward and I actually begun to lose control. It says in Saul's story that he forced himself. And now the translation says he felt compelled. Have you ever kind of gone a bit crazy and just been compelled to do something because things weren't panning out, because things weren't being perfect? Yeah, that was Saul's struggle. He actually completely lost control. But you know, the great thing is that when we have relationship with Jesus, when we have relationship with God, there's this thing called self-control. There's this beautiful fruit, well, what the Bible calls fruit of the Spirit, but it basically means that the Holy Spirit gives you the gift of self-control. And I know that that's not a sexy thing. That's not something attractive to our world anymore, having self-control. But can I tell you that if we want to be people who continue on this path towards success, we need to have self-control. Otherwise, we find that our situations begin to control us. Psalm 147 says, The Lord favours those who fear Him, those who wait for His Loving kindness. So the thing is, we're not just waiting. We're not just holding ourselves back and having self-control for the sake of not letting the situation overcome us, but it's actually an act of waiting. It's actually an act of yielding to, God, you are sovereign. God, I'm going to wait for your loving kindness instead. God, I'm going to wait for whatever your good pleasure is in this situation. God, that's what I'm waiting for. And this morning, maybe you've come here and you don't yet know this Jesus that I'm talking about. You don't actually know a God who wants to be good to you, who wants to love you, who wants to show you you kindness. And for you, yes, you are heading after success. You're running after it, but you're feeling the pressure to be perfect, to always be in control. This morning, I would love to invite you to a relationship with this God who says, you don't have to have it all in control because I do. And in fact, when you don't have things in control, I want to intervene with my love for you, with my kindness. And so this morning, just if everyone could bow your heads and close your eyes, I would love to lead you in a prayer that connects you with this God who is sovereign and who has your best interest at heart. So if you, well, we're all going to say this prayer together, but if you say this in your heart, confess it with your mouth, the Bible says that salvation comes to you. It's as easy as that to come to Jesus. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything together. But Jesus just says, come. Come. My sacrifice was more than enough for you. Just come and ask me into your heart, and we can do this journey together. So come on, let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for being perfect and that I don't have to be. Thank you for taking my sin on the cross and for dying in my place. I ask you to be my Lord and Savior today. Come live in my heart. I want to know you more. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lift, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.